when Johnny mentioned reporting the numbers, I wanted to explain to everybody why that's so important. You know, reporting numbers, what it does, first off, it reveals to you how much work, how much activity you've actually done. And Barry made the comment yesterday that the activity is the great separator, and that is so true, because we have a tendency to think, you know, we worked a whole lot harder than we did and or, or than we thought we had. But tracking your numbers and then having to report them you know, being accountable for that makes all the, it's a deal breaker for a lot of people. So the first thing that uh, reporting your numbers does, it reveal, reveals to you how much work you've done. The second thing it does, it reveals patterns, you know, some good and some that are not so good. Because if we see some patterns in the numbers, it helps us help you address it. And then the third thing that it does, it helps one humble oneself. And because, you know, humbling ourselves is the first step toward reversing harmful habits because, one, it allows your manager to help coach you, and two, it helps you get back on track again. And when you look around at some of the greats, <coughs> maybe in the tennis uh, area, all the great tennis players have coaches, and those coaches track their activity. Uh, golfers, you know, um, they have coaches that track their activity, how many balls they hit each day, uh, how many putts they take, you know, how many times they're able to swing, you know, and, and what the coach is looking for are patterns that they need to continue and then also some harmful patterns that they really need to uh, stop doing. And revealing and, and tracking things, this is an important part of getting get, uh, better. Now, when Johnny was talking about Connor, there's some things I would like to address there. You know, Connor, if, if you look at, because Johnny touched on this, he didn't have anybody to coach him on the phone. His dad agree, would not help him because his dad was of the belief if you joined Equus, you can make it on the training platform we have. So he was going to make Connor an example of that. So how do you, how do you dial? So Connor got on there and went and watched his, his, um, the videos of his father dialing and also of Bill Martin. And he felt like the ones that, that uh, Rob Jones did uh, would make him better. Uh, he went to the in-home presentations Equus has. This is back in the days we went into the home. And uh, uh, he felt more comfortable using the one that his dad had. And that was it. That was everything that he had. And when you realize that when he went that second week and all but two of his appointments no-showed him, you know, most people that are brand new would have cut and run on that. Um, he, I, don't, I don't know that he made any sales or didn't make any sales that second week. He had a, I mean, his first paycheck, think about this, an 18-year-old senior in high school, you know, between his junior and year, senior year, his first paycheck with Equus had a comma in it. And how many kids in high school get a check for over $1,000? It just doesn't happen very often. But what did Connor have that many on this phone don't? And, and, Johnny, I think this is a big separator for us. What did he have? What did he know that somebody new on this phone doesn't know? Guys, he had the association of being around people that were in the business. You know, he had been around it since he was a child. He would never made a dial, never ran an appointment, but he had heard all the terrible stories of going a whole week with no sales. But he knew that the law of large numbers 
would take care of him. See, from June of 2017 until December 31st of 2017, his income for a high school senior was over $46,000. He earned most of the trip to go on his first incentive trip. In 2018, he earned $165,000. You know, he's 19 years old, right out of high school. In 2019, he earned 214000 and this year he's on track to earn in excess of 300000 and it's probably going to be somewhere around three sixty. dollars uh, I, I talked to him later in the day. Now, he started recruiting in 2018. And I think this was an important part of, of his story yesterday, but he was in, uh, recruiting his high school buddies. I mean, how many high school kids wouldn't love to go out and make, you know, $1,000, $2,000 a week part-time? And uh, But what Connor did is he ignored the six-point profile. And for those of you that are new on the phone here today, if you're going to build a team, there are some key elements that you're looking for when you're hiring people. One of them is you you really want to hire the majority of your people in the 25 to 55 age group. Does that mean 18-year-olds won't make it? No. Connor did. Does that mean 65-year-olds won't make it? No. We've got a host of them on the on the phone here today, but that's the norm is what you're kind of looking for there. The more of these points you can have, the better. Somebody might be 70, really sharp and, and full of energy, and they'll tear the meat off the bone here. But a lot of 70-year-olds aren't going to do that. Um, married, somebody that's married is another point. Do you have to be married to be successful here? No, but it's one of the six points. Again, you're trying to get more of those points on your side. Already having a job is a big deal because they already have a source of income. They already have the discipline we know of going to work every day. Having a mortgage is a big deal because they have responsibility. That's where the 18-year-olds fell apart. Not much responsibility. Having children. Do you have to have kids to be successful here? No, but it's a level of responsibility that help that's built in to who you are. And then uh, relatively good health because, you know, we're out sometimes uh, working late at night. Uh, not so much now with the... Um, um, doing the virtual sales, but it all makes a little bit of difference. Now, uh, with him hiring all 18-year-olds, it didn't work out so well because they quit. Well, why did they quit? Well, it's work, and frankly, adversity was not really a part of their lifestyle yet. It's going to come, but it's not there yet. I'll give you an example. My nephew went to law school at Ohio State after doing a military combat tour in the Middle East. You know, there were bullets literally flying over his head and at him. Um, bombs were going off all around him. He was living on four hours of sleep a night just trying to make it. Uh, the enemy was all around him everywhere. So when he gets to law school, you know, law school was hard. But compared to what he had been uh, through in the combat situation, law school wasn't that big a deal. And he used to laugh. He said, I go to class, and his classmates are complaining it's so hard. They didn't get any sleep last night. You know, they were continually complaining about how hard everything was. And he's thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You know, you guys don't know what hard is. Well, our business is much like law school. It's very, very hard. But if life's taught you many of life's lessons, this is pretty easy, guys. Stop and think about what we do. What do we do? 
we get leads, we make dials, we set appointments, and we make sales. It's pretty simple. You know, now, for a first-year law student that hasn't been through a lot of life's experiences, maybe making dials and setting appointments is a big deal. I had a conversation yesterday with uh, a lady that we were talking, and I mentioned the reason a lot of people don't work uh, out doing this is they've got an 800-pound gorilla sitting on their telephone, and they can't pick it up, and they can't get the gorilla off. You know, we laugh about that, but, guys, that call reluctance is a real thing for a lot of people. Um, you know, Barry's comment or yesterday, he says, what's going to happen to make you quit? Because, guys, that's a real question. And, and I think, you know, if you went on 15 straight appointments in a row with no sales, would that make you quit? Well, remember Connor when he first started, the thing he had nobody else had? He had the association. He had heard the horror stories. See, he had heard that people went weeks or two without a sale. Um, I know a number of people that have gone 15, 18, 20 appointments with no sales, and I know a bunch of them that today are still earning in excess of 250000 a year. Would, would going on 25 appointments make you quit? Well, see, without the association, probably it would. It probably is going to make you quit because, you know, you, you, think the end, you, think, you think your last sale was your last sale. Well, see, I know people that have been on 25 appointments. And I know Connie and I were talking about this morning, this phone call, guys, is one of our, our methods of association. Now, those of you that have been around a while and you've been to our conventions and you've been to our local meetings and so on, you understand what I'm talking about. Because, I mean, Connie and I were in um, South Carolina a few weeks ago. Uh, we were in Dayton at a, a meeting uh, shortly after that. And just getting back together with other managers, it was huge. Hearing what they're doing that's working, things, you know, areas of, of, that are hard for them, all those things are overcome through association. So whenever we have a call, that's why we encourage you to be on there. You know, for you to hear about Star this morning, her first week on the phone, she made a virtual sale. You know, I think it was the first or second day that she'd been on the phone calling, and she gets a sale. So if you've been on the phone for four days and you're not on this call today and you didn't hear about STAR and you don't make a sale today, you're probably going to quit. So association is a real big part of what we do. Um, see, when, when you have had been on f five appointments and – You've, you've had a hard time, you haven't made a sale. Guys, that's what the Equus Training Center is all about. There's a lot of, uh, of uh, tutorials on there that you can go to to listen to, podcast and training in your area of need. So use those things and try to figure out how to get better. When you're struggling, reach out to your manager. You know, they get, they're in a position to help you. What we're trying to do, one of the main reasons for you reaching out to your manager, guys, is we're going to help you to try to find some low-hanging fruit to get a sale under your belt. You know, I've had this conversation with a number of people before. They were really struggling. And I mentioned a, a child's plan. Well, who do you know that's got children? that ought to have Forrester's Child's Plan. They can run out there and make four or five sales. I remember when I was in the uh, resort business, if I was having a bad week, the best thing I could do would be uh, go out to the campground and talk to people who had bought campsites from me and were enjoying it. 
I talked to two or three or four of those, and even to this day, I would love to be in Fredericksburg at least one day a week without necessarily having appointments. I'd rather have an appointment, but it gives me a chance to stop by and maybe knock on the door of an existing client just to see how things are going. That encourages me. And those are the kind of things that your manager is going to help you do to find some of this low-hanging fruit. See, I was reading in Frank Betcher's book in preparation for the call today, and one of the things that popped out to me is right people do the right thing. And, you know, when I read, read that, I thought, what's holding people back from meeting their goals? And then this phrase out of the book really jumped off, off the page at me, is never forget a customer and never let a customer forget you. And that's a direct quote from Frank Betcher. See, Frank was asked one time how many automobiles he bought. Somebody was setting him up. And he said, well, I've bought about 33 cars, I guess. And the guy says, well, how many salesmen have you had to buy those 33 calls? And then it hit me. Never – oh, and, and the comment was, I've had 33 salespeople. You know, never let a customer forget you and never let you forget the customer. See, this motto became the motto for Chevrolet uh, Motor Company uh, at that time when they heard this. That phrase made them number one in the world auto manufacturer for 13 out of the next 15 years that they used that motto. We Guys, we should be doing the same thing here. You know, Frank was telling a story about him buying a home. Uh, I know Debbie Fisk is on here today, and Debbie is continually, she's in the health business and Medicare supplement business. Their customers are so faithful to them that they reach out to them all the time. Now, what's going to pay off for them is they're already reaching out to them for the Medicare supplement and mentioning final expense. So this just opens up a whole new arena of sales that they have the opportunity to make. But this real estate person had sold Frank a home, and like most of us, when we buy a home, rarely do we buy something that's comfortable. We usually stretch to get just a few more benefits in the house, and a few days later, Frank had a little buyer's remorse, thinking, Lord have mercy, did I bite off a little more than I can chew? And I felt the same way when we moved into this home here you know, with the swimming pool and all the things that went with it and everything. We love it, but I'm thinking, Lord, have mercy, you know. Anyway, um, the realtor just, he said, you know, Frank, I'd like to stop by and just chat with you for a couple minutes. The realtor comes by and points out some of the features that he thought were important to the home. Uh, he talked enthusiastically about the neighborhood, mentioned some of the neighbors, and um and he started talking about Frank's house, how it was situated on the lot, in the subdivision. And suddenly now Frank realizes, oh, this is my house he's talking about, how I fit into this neighborhood. Uh, the re realtor's visit reassured him that he had made a wise investment. They ended up becoming really close friends. And a week later, Frank gave the realtor the name of a friend who was looking for a new house. See, we need to be reaching out to our clients to make them comfortable with what we sold them, you know, and pointing out the advantages of what they just bought. Stop and think about it for a minute. When I was talking to Marie yesterday as a, a potential recruit to join our team, you know, understanding that 50% of the people that get stuck with a needle to buy life insurance are going to be rated or declined. Guys, when you realize 
uh, and she's on the call today, and she has no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about simplified issue. But with our plans, when you don't have to do an exam, what, what's the net result of that? The company is taking all the risk. See, to buy a product like, like life insurance and the company take all the risk, guys, that's huge. Now, add to that the living benefits. You know, if somebody is diagnosed and can't work for six months or a year, now, there's two ways of telling the client this. One tells them and gives them information. The other one builds confidence and understanding, and it moves them to action. The fact that they can get life insurance that has living benefits is great. But, you know, asking the question after you've made the sale, now, John and Mary, i got a question for you. God forbid five years from now one of you gets cancer, stroke, or a heart attack, and you can't work for six months to a year. How in the world would you guys make your house payment? Now, see, if I had just bought that product from you, and you called me and asked me that question, guys, you've peeled back the onion to another layer that I've never thought about. Now, you may have mentioned it during the sale, just like Frank's realtor mentioned a lot of these benefits of that house, but now it's real because now I have the product. Now I have something that's going to protect me, God forbid that happens, because now that I own it, it's more, more important and more valuable to me than it was before I bought it. So these are ways we're, we're, we're creating in the client that understanding of knowing the difference here. And, um, you know, you can point out, say, well, now your plan has what we refer to as foreclosure protection because, God forbid, you were in a situation battling cancer and you didn't have the money to make your mortgage payment, you've got a plan that's going to give you a lump sum of money to live on so all you have to worry about is getting better. You don't have to worry about losing your home due to foreclosure. And, you know, if you guys know anybody that needs that kind of protection, please let me know because most people don't even realize that exists. You think you might end up with a referral or two out of that. See, what we're looking for here is a little low-hanging fruit. See, uh, equity protection plans, um, and, and for those of you that are new on the call here, we have a lot of people 55, 70, and mid-70s that they can't afford to buy $100,000 or $200,000 of life insurance. So what we have to do there is we have to determine what the equity they have in their home is, who's going to get it, and put together a plan to make sure that happens. And we do that through a, an equity protection plan that gives the kids enough money to make the house payment for six months to a year so they don't have to accept the first low-ball payment that comes in and giving the equity to a complete stranger so that the kids have a chance to get a fair price out of the home. And, you know, when you stop and think about it, if somebody's got a $200,000 mortgage and you sell them a $10,000 whole life policy, do you think they might get a little buyer's remorse? What did we buy that thing for? It's only $10,000 and we have a $200,000 mortgage. So a phone call to that client a few days later reminding them, saying, you know, John and Mary, I've been thinking about your, your situation. You guys just paid $200,000 for your house. About how much is it worth? Well, we put $60,000 down. So you've got $60,000 in equity in the home. If something happens to you guys next year, who do you want to get that $60,000 down payment? Well, we want our kids to get it. Well, remember that plan we put together yesterday? 
that's going to give the children enough money to make the house payment for a year or six months so that they have a chance to get the 260 out of it instead of having to sell it in the fire sale. And then go one step further, guys, don't stop. So you know, five years from now, if that house is worth 300000 and you've got it paid down to, say, 195. That's $105,000 because of this plan we've implemented here that you're giving your children a chance to get rather than giving it to a complete stranger. Do you think maybe they might feel a little better about that purchase they just made? Absolutely. And now it opens the door to uh, maybe sell some children's uh, policies for the grandkids. It opens up the opportunity for them to tell a neighbor or a friend, see, this is all low-hanging fruit. It also opens up the opportunity. They believed enough to buy $10,000, but now they may want to give the kids another six months of payments, or they may realize now that they have a final expense plan through AARP that goes away the day they turn 80, and you might be in a position to make a sale for a final expense plan for five or $10,000 to cover their burial. So guys, what are we doing? We're looking for ways to find low-hanging fruit, and this is about what we do. And being able to uh, seal the sale on what you've made, but also find out the business, is that's the business we're in.